0: Judges chapter 10. I'm going to go and read Judges 10 and then uh, pray for our time in the word. So if you would read with, me, read with me, Judges 10, 1 to 16. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. After him arose Jair, the Gileadite who judged Israel 22 years, and he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called the Havoth-Jair to this day, which, I- which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kemon The people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreth, the, gods of, the uh, gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites, who oppressed you? And you cried out to me, and I saved you from their hand, out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away their foreign gods, the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the book of Judges and just the constant reminder it has been of your faithfulness, um, even when we're not, Lord. And so we pray um, that you just give us hearts of repentance uh, as we continue through this series, uh, that we would not look with judgment on the people of Israel in this time, but would rather look at our own hearts and examine them and come before you and ask you to to search our hearts and know us and know whether there's any wrong way in us and um, make us pure in our motives and desires for you. Uh, Lord, that our relationship with you would grow and that we'd be dependent on you for all things. We pray for this time in the word. Would you be exalted and lifted up? Would your spirit direct every word that is spoken um, and encourage our hearts this day? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're right in the middle of our study of the book of Judges, and so we've got uh, a handful of weeks left here. We've got this week, which we'll be walking over the the famous Tola and Jair. You guys all know Tola. You guys know the 30 donkey story. Everybody knows this. Okay, yeah. And no? Nobody? All right. Okay, no? You didn't know Jair? Okay. Weird. Um, You're going to find out today. Tola and Jair, famous judges. Um, And then in the next couple weeks, we'll be talking about Jephthah, Uh, So for two weeks, we'll be in Jephthah. After that, we'll have four weeks with Samson. Um, And then after Samson, uh, between Samson and Easter, there'll be five weeks. And those five weeks, we're going to see kind of the conclusion of uh, the book of Judges, which is capstone by this phrase that there was no king in the land and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Okay, and so you've already seen that kind of mentality present in the people of Israel as we've started the book of Judges, and now in the middle of it we continue to see that the trajectory of the people of Israel is, instead of toward the Lord, getting further and further away from the Lord, even while God has been faithful to constantly send Savior and Savior and Savior, deliverer after deliverer, to save the people of Israel from their oppressors. So today we're going to say the, see this same pattern, and, uh, and we start off with looking at a couple of judges that are very quickly spoken of, uh, Tola and Jair, in verses 1 to 5. So verses 1 to 2 talks about Tola. It says this, after Abimelech there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived in Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried at Shemir. Not much to say there, mainly... He was risen up by the Lord as a savior, okay? Um, And 23 years, he judged Israel. So he stepped into the role of a deliverer. He judged Israel, led them. Uh, He was a savior. We don't know their oppressor at this time. We just know that somehow Tola rose up and saved Israel, just like we've seen the pattern of judge after judge. They were under the oppression of their enemies, and Tola raised up in some way, we don't know how, okay, and saved Israel from their oppressors. After him came Jair, uh, Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And Jair, uh, it says, had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys and had 30 cities. Okay? Um, and so you're like, why donkeys? Why cities? What's the deal? Um, so basically, what this should say to us, kind of the download of 30 cities, 30 donkeys, 30 sons, this man was risen up as a judge of Israel again. He's a savior of Israel, saved them from some oppressor. Again, we don't know who. Okay? Just He was risen up by the Lord to save Israel from an oppressor. Um, And his sons all become leaders. So we just want to note, like, the importance and significance of Jair is that he passed on his leadership to his sons. And he gave them each a city, and each of them a donkey. And you're like, donkey, why? Who cares? It's like a donkey just, like, pulls things, right? It's like, nah. Nah. Um, So the significance of that is that a donkey, you should kind of equate to, like, a car or a nice car, okay? You're not going to have a donkey. Not not everyone's going to have a donkey, okay? You're like, if you have a donkey, you've got a nice car, okay? In comparison to if if his sons had, like, horses, if he said he gave each of them a horse, it'd be like a tank, okay? If you're, like, comparing to, like, fast forward to today. He gave his sons donkeys. Why? Because they have no threat around them. They're kings. They're in control of their city. There's peace in the land, okay? They've received peace from their father as he's risen up, and his father has delivered to them 30 peaceful cities to to be stewards of. So you've got donkeys. And so you might, like, put that in your cap as you're thinking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We've talked about that before. Why did he not come in on a horse? Because he already conquered the city. He's not coming to war against Jerusalem. It's his. And so he's stepping in on a donkey because he owns it already. There's no war to be fought. He is the king, okay. Um, so this is kind of where we're, we're getting that with, with the donkeys here. Um, he died and was buried in Kimon. That's all we got. This is Jair. So why, like why are we inserting these random, you know, judges in such like bullet fashion, bullet point fashion here. Uh, and we need to say this about them. These two judges are briefly recorded. Um, between major stories, and we've had other ones that have been kind of briefly recorded, Shamgar and others, who are just kind of inserted between major stories throughout the book of Judges. The point of that is to say that the Lord has been constant in his faithfulness to Israel. He has demonstrated his faithfulness over and over and over again. Like, we could probably write more chapters about Jair. We could probably write more chapters about Tola and Shamgar and, and what they did to save Israel. But the, book, the writer of the book of, of Judges is saying, man, the Lord saved and saved and saved and saved and saved. This is the point, right? The Lord has been faithful to save his people. It also, unfortunately, stands as a testimony against the people of Israel. Because as the Lord continues to save and save and save, the people continue to disobey and not recognize the mighty hand of the Lord that has been in their presence the whole time. And so, again, the Lord rises up, Tola and Jair, and they save Israel. There's 55 years of peace between them, okay, or 45, sorry, 45 years of peace between them um, in their regions and all, and still the disobedience of Israel persists, which is where we'll spend the rest of our time, verses 6 to 16. Verse six says this, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Not only did they serve Baal and Ashtaroth, these Canaanite gods that we've learned some about over the past weeks, but also The gods of all these people they were to conquer and rid themselves of in this land. They instead adopted their beliefs into their own and served these gods, the gods of all these people, Sidon, Moab, Ammonites, Philistines, Syrians. They said, oh yeah, we'll just pull them in and we'll just incorporate this into our belief set. And they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Our God is Lord of lords, King of kings. He doesn't share authority with anyone. There's no God that he's willing to put on a pedestal with him and say, yeah, he can share some power, he can share some power. No, all authority and power is the Lord's. And Israel has forgotten that. Their forefathers came out of Egypt and, and saw the Lord demonstrate His power over the sun, moon, stars, humanity, like every power that existed in the country of Egypt, the Lord thwarted by plague. He has seen, the people have seen that the Lord is God of all gods, and there is none before him. And yet they've forsaken the Lord and done evil in the Lord's sight and instead served the gods of this land. And so verse 7, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the Ammonites. Just as the Lord promised them before they came into the land, he said, listen, if you do not obey what I have called you to do, to be my hand of judgment against these who have resisted me, then you will become like them, and you will serve their gods. And when you serve their gods, I will then, my favor will not be on you anymore. And so the Lord sells them back into slavery, right? The Lord's taken them out of slavery from Egypt, given them a land where they're to be in control of their land that the Lord gave them under God's authority. And now within the land God gave them, he has sold them back into slavery to these people. Verses 8 and 9. And the Philistines and Ammonites, they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. And for 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. So this is all to the east of the Jordan, if you're looking at like a map of Israel. And furthermore, not only in the east of uh, Israel, also the Ammonites, verse 9, crossed over the Jordan and fought against Judah and Benjamin and all the house of Ephraim, so that Israel as a whole was severely distressed. And so again, we're seeing this cycle, right? The Lord sells them into oppression. They grow weary of being oppressed, as we all would, right? And we hear them cry out to the Lord again, verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. But that's only part of the truth, right? They served the Baals, but they they also served the the god of the Sidons and Philistines and Syrians and Moabs and Ammonites. It wasn't just about the Baals. It was about every god they could get their hand on, they devoted themselves to. So they come to the Lord and say, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. And the Lord sees directly through their hearts. In verses 11 and 12, he says, The Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Philistines, the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Moabites oppressed you? And you cried out to me, and I saved you. Notice that he picks up on the other countries they didn't repent about, right? Interesting. He says, we repented for the bales." He's like, yeah, but do you remember that I saved you from all these other people that you're serving too? See, they weren't wholehearted in their repentance at all, and the Lord sees directly through them. Verse 13, even though the Lord has saved them from all these other gods, he says, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, and therefore I will save you no more verse 14, go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. He says finally to the people of Israel, if you trust in these other gods so much, then please go ahead. Let them save you from your oppression. Go to the God of the Philistines. Go to the God of Sidon. Please go try me. Go ahead. Let them save you. And the people of Israel cry out even more and say in verse 15, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. Verse 16 gives us a little bit of hope that maybe they did something right, but the Lord sees through it again. (laughs) Verse 16, So they put away their foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he, that is the Lord became impatient over the misery of Israel. See, if we read this on the face of it really quickly and don't sit with it long enough, it seems like the people of Israel are repenting. They're coming to the Lord for help. But when they first come to the Lord for help, they say, it must be because we've served the Baals. And God says, and... The Sidonian God and the Moabite God, these gods that I have defeated, remember them? And so then the people of Israel come out and say, "Well, yes, that's true, and we will serve you. And just note that one little statement at the end of it, and we're all so guilty of this, myself included, only please deliver us from this day. We've sinned. Do, do whatever seems good to you. Just, just deliver us from this day, and then... The next day, I'm with you. Just save me from this day. Because you know I've got you tomorrow, right? I'll serve you, Lord. Just save me from this day. And then I'll serve you. See how slight it is in our hearts with that. Yeah, usually... uh, First Sunday of, uh, of a new year, we start out with like a vision series, you know, We're like, all right, this is who we are as a church, and this is where we're headed and going, and uh, sorry, but we're in Judges 10, and, uh, and the truth is we need Judges 10 all the time, okay, because we, we're tricky. We like to act like we're tricky with God, like we can somehow trick him, and we can't, as it turns out. I know it might be shocking to you, but you cannot fool the Lord. You can't fool him. Uh, he's He's been around for a minute, and he knows what's going on. And what we see in this picture today in chapter 10 is a people um, who are hurting. They're suffering because of their own sin. And in the suffering of their sin, they're coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, save us again. And if you do, we'll, you know, We'll, we'll serve you. Just save us from this day. But it says the Lord is impatient over the misery of Israel. The, the, the phrase there is actually an idiom, a Hebrew idiom, that means the Lord was short in soul. Like, the feelings in his soul for the people of Israel have run out. Like, he's come short Of feeling for them. He's like, I see right through you. You're saying these things to me, that you repent and and all this, and that you'll serve me if I save you, but the pattern is bleak. I mean, look at the whole book of Judges, let alone Exodus and Joshua and all these. You haven't passed this test. It's a challenging word, but it's one we need to hear uh, constantly, and, and it's a word that drives us back to relationship with the Lord instead of relying on some sort of religious-like superstition that we could fall into very easily. And so I want to hit a, uh, just a few things here as we reflect on this passage um, that I hope will be encouraging to you, um, if not convicting um, as well. The first is this, and I think I've said it, um, Israel's repentance was completely disingenuous. (laughs) I mean, you can see the Lord calling them out twice very clearly. Yeah, you're repenting for the Baals, but what about all the other gods are serving, (laughs) because I defeated them also. And and yes, you're you're repenting, you're going to say you're going to serve me if I save you from this day, but I can tell that you're not real with this. My soul is run short for you. I I just know as you say the words, there's just nothing behind it. And so they're in this disingenuous repentance. Um, I wanted to put it this way because I think it maybe puts it in a a nice light because uh, this is a sinful disposition that is similar to another disposition uh, that I want to put before you and say they're actually the same origin point. And, and so the first is this, that, you know, like we've seen, repenting out of the flesh comforting motive to reduce the pain of our circumstances, that's sin, right? Like, if I'm repenting just to get out of my pain, I've missed the point, Right? I'm just saying, oh, I'm going to repent because I'm need. i hurting, and I, I think my repentance will help me not hurt so bad. If I just repent, then, Lord, you'll just make it easier. So I'm going to repent to get into a more comfortable position. That's my motive. The Lord sees that motive straight up. And it actually comes from the same type of thinking that says, you believe that a miracle only counts on the amount of faith you've got. It comes from the same place. It's the same, it's the same origin point, if you sit with that for a minute. Like, if you believe, man, if I just have enough faith here, if I just muster up enough faith, then, man, God will just do anything for me. See that? Right? If I repent, then my sentence will be reduced. If I have more faith, then I'll get what I have faith for. See, it's the same mentality. If I do X, then God will do Y. And that will result in good for me. And we think this way all the time. And so I want to point it out to you to say, like, this is, we're talking about repentance here, but this ideology, this thinking, this way of thinking about God is all across the board, and one other way is when we say, well, man, if I just had enough faith, then that person had been healed, or I'd have been healed. And disregard the fact that maybe God has some, you know, divine will that he would like to exercise in all of life, you know? Um, Listen, I want to be real clear, I am for repentance, Okay? And I'm also for having faith that God can heal. But if our motive in having faith is to get what I want, then I'm in the wrong spot. And if my motive for repentance is to escape pain, then I'm also in the wrong spot. And they come from the same position. It's a position that says God is a superstitious entity and he reacts to my merit. If I operate correctly, he will give me what I desire. And God from the beginning until the end has been about a relationship with you. Okay? You've heard the statement God is love, right? God is love. Okay? He doesn't operate based on some transactional engagement where You give him what he wants, and he gives you what you want. It's not a candy machine, okay? He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to just punch the right numbers and get what you want. He wants to walk in a relationship with you. And so when we repent, just to kind of get out of pain like the Israelites were doing here, we've missed what he's done for us completely. God's saying, do you not see that, like, I am the one that rose up Othniel. I am the one that rose up Shamgar. I am the one that rose up Gideon. These men had no power in their own. I am the one that rose them up to save you from these oppressors. Because I thought you were good? No, because I love you with all that I am. And so when we um, get our motives mixed up with the Lord, and say, man, I'm going to repent so that I can get out of this pain, then the Lord knows that. <laughs> he, he knows. He's going to call that every time. He challenges us then. This is, it gets harder. Sorry. <laughs> if we're unwilling to walk in obedience before the Lord, the Lord will then challenge us to go ahead and cry out to the gods you serve. He says, do you want to come to me based on merit? Do you want to come to me based on a, a merit belief system? Is, is that how you want to approach me? Oh, man. Go ahead and serve that God. And, and so often, really, like myself, I'm sure y'all too, okay? So often, we... Um, We have chosen in our hearts to trust in our recent good works to bring us the Lord's favor rather than trusting in the Lord's constant faithfulness to be our provision. You know how quickly we have done that, right? Man, we get in a way and we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm doing it right. See? Okay, let's get this feeling good. Let's go forward. Lord, let's move forward. And he says... You're here for the feeling. You're not here for me. And the Lord says, I want you to be here for me. Right? I'm not looking at your recent good works. I'm looking at my son on a cross who died for you. And so, quit trusting in your recent good works that you've done and start trusting in the eternal faithfulness of your Savior. We can't fool the Lord. It's not possible. Okay? Okay? He's the Lord. Jesus was this way even when he was walking on earth. John 2, 23 to 25, he knows what's in a man. He was in Jerusalem at a Passover feast. Many believed in his name and saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Man, Lord Jesus knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows the inside and out. And you and I both know, we've been in prayer before the Lord. And we're like praying with the Lord. And it starts to become this like, hey, man, yeah, I will commit everything to you if you'll do this. And man, if you catch yourself doing that, and I've been there, okay? I'm not, not trying to like be whatever, okay? I've been there where I'm like, man, Lord, if you would just do this for me, then man, things would go well. Has anyone ever said that to the Lord? Yeah? You ever said, Lord, I've got a wager for you. If you do this, man, I will go to the moon. Like, you can't even. Have we been to the moon? Anyway, just <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, he said, you can't do that. Proverbs 21.2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Man, if you find yourself saying these words, man, if I repent, then I'll have comfort, or if I have enough faith, then man, the Lord will give me what I want. That's okay, okay? Just catch yourself and go, all right, Lord, what I mean is, I want you. (laughs) I want what you want in my life, and I want to give up this old way, and I want to follow your way. Repentance does not look like, I will serve you if you deliver me from this day. Repentance looks like, I want you, Lord, and I don't want to see those other things anymore. I want to turn, right? Repent. Go the other direction, right? That's what it is. It's not about, Lord, if you, if you get rid of this stuff, then I'll go that direction. No, it's like, Lord, I'm going to you. We can't fool him. He knows our hearts. Um, and so I just challenge you and challenge myself Let's not be disingenuous with the Lord. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing that we do it, but we do. We go before the all-knowing, all-powerful God and think we can trick him. And we can't. <laughs> so don't. Be, just be honest with him. Be who you are before him. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Um, I was just challenged by this statement that the Lord was short in his soul toward the Israelites. Because he's looking at them saying these things like, man, you're just reciting all the Bible verses. You're you're telling me all the Sunday school lessons. You told me just how many times you went to church here. You just came before me. You're like, look, Lord, we've done all these great things. And he's like, nah, none of it. You're not doing any of it right. I am short in the soul because I've heard this song and dance so many times from you and you're not being real with me, child. That's what he's saying. He was short in his soul over their unrepentant and deceived hearts. They had deceived themselves into thinking that they were repenting. And they weren't even repenting. And so the thing that was challenging this is that we have this concept in our minds that God... Is unaffected by our actions. That like because of his omniscience and omnipotence, that we can't hurt him. That he has no feelings at all. And listen, I'm not here to kind of like describe to you how I know that the Lord has feelings or how I even understand how that could be possible or or anything like that. Okay, I'm not here to like debate the philosophy and theology of, of how these things are true. Okay, not, that's for people in seminaries. I've been to seminaries, and I wasn't smart enough to stay there, okay? So, like, you know, this, this is above my head. But it's in the Bible that the Lord is hard, hurt by us, by our sin. It hurts. He is short in his soul over the Israel's disobedience. And so easily we get this thing in our head, well, it's okay, he's a big God. Lots of people. Other people are sinning. I've I've sinned in the past. This isn't as big as my other sins. And when we start comparing, we're like, see, he's probably not really affected by this so much, so it's okay a little bit this time. (laughs) And I'm telling you, God is short in his soul over that when we start talking that way to him or thinking that way to him. And so, again, I don't know how it is, like, practically, like, like, the logistics of it, that, like, God could be affected by me, like he could be emotionally hurt by me in some way. But, um, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, it's very clear that he is from Scripture. If you just read your Bible, <laughs> just read Bible, and you will see that God is a God of a relationship And he knows and feels and understands what's going on in a relational way. Listen, look at this section alone. Verse 6, God was angry with their sin, right? They turned from him in disobedience and he's like, guys, I'm hurt. I'm hurt right here. You are angry. I'm stirring up anger in me as the Lord God Almighty. And verse 16, like I said, He's short in his soul. He's just in despair over the fact that Israel still, after judge, after judge, after judge, after judge, after even Tola and Jer, we don't even know about them, like, after all this, that you still don't believe that I'm, I'm the one God. He's short in his soul. It's, it's just like Genesis 6. Uh, before the flood, he was grieved in his heart over the disobedience of humankind. God was grieved over our sin in Genesis 6, it says. In Exodus, when uh, Moses is receiving the law and the people are making a golden calf at the same time, like Moses is having a one-on-one, man-to-man, like face-to-face conversation with God on a mountain, and behind his back, people are building golden calf, simultaneously occurring, right? Like how crazy is that? The Lord felt ready to destroy his people in that moment. He feels our sin. So don't trick yourself into thinking, well, God doesn't really feel this. He doesn't really, like, he's got so much to worry about, you know? He's God. So what am I going to do to affect him? And I'm telling you, the Bible says he is grieved over your sin. And if any of that wasn't enough then like just like go watch uh, The Passion of the Christ and and like watch Jesus sweating blood in Gethsemane. You know what like just read over that account and go like this is God in flesh feeling the weight of the sin of the world. The Lord feels your sin because He loves you, and it turns out when you uh, hurt somebody that loves you, they are hurt, right? Um, You parents know, teach our kids, like, when they hurt each other, right? Say, hey, go say sorry to your sister. Go say sorry to your brother, and why am I telling them to say sorry, right? Right? They need to recognize that they hurt their brother or sister. That's why they're saying sorry. But why are they saying sorry? Because that's different. They're saying sorry because I said to say sorry, and if they don't say sorry, then they're disobeying, and it gets worse from there, right? They're doing it out of obedience. They're not doing it out of heart. And so the challenge in parenting with little ones is to encourage them to do it for the reason, right? The reason I want you to say sorry is because I want you to feel sorry that you hurt your brother or sister. Sorry is not like a a password to get on to the next thing. It's like an exclamation of your affection toward your fellow man to say, I'm sorry. I recognize what I did was wrong, and I am now sorrowful over it, and I want to communicate that to you. I'm not just trying to get out of jail. I want to say I'm sorry, right? God is love and he wants us to love one another like he loves us. And he's 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 affected by our sin this way. So don't repent from a disingenuous position and man and remember that the Lord, man, he loves you like a father loves you, okay, he feels for you, and when, and when you sin against him, when you don't listen, when you, when you repent in a disingenuous fashion, he's feeling that, and it grieves him, he's not disjointed and apart from us, he is entwined with us, the, Jesus prays in his prayer, pri, uh, priestly prayer, he says, he desires us to be one with him as he is one with the father, Right? So he wants us to be in unity with himself. And so when we choose to serve other gods or repent in disingenuous fashion or base our faith on meritocracy or whatever it is, then we grieve him. And thankfully, at this point, we get to step back from this passage, which was rough, (laughs) chapter 10, And know that there's a chapter 11, and there's like more of the Bible written. And what we know from that is that in spite of the fact that the Lord feels short in his soul toward his people at this moment, there's another chapter. His love for his people is not finished yet. Right? We're in the middle of his demonstrating his love to the people of Israel. And there's more to come for them, predominantly in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? His love remains. We know that the Lord has been faithful prior to chapter 10 of Judges, and he is faithful after chapter 10 of Judges. His his faithfulness to Israel did not run out this day. Praise God. He felt it. Okay, he was miserable over the people of Israel this day. But he didn't stay that way. His love remained for them. And we know this, right? We know this in Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Just encourage your heart. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God. We need it. We need it desperately because we, we are judges ten people. We're judges ten people all day, okay, from morning to night. We're judges ten people. But praise God we serve a God who sent his son to die for us, that, that nothing can separate us from his love. And so, man, I just pray that you would let that love, right, that cannot be separated from you, that you would let that love be your motivation for repentance, be your motivation for faith, be your motivation for your calling, be your motivation for your parenting and your marriage and your job, okay? This love that, doesn't sep- that cannot be separated from you, this should be your motive for everything you do. You should not be coming to your work or your relationships for what you're going to get out of it, but rather what God is calling you to lay down to it. This is the kind of love that will not be separated from you. Christ has given this to you fully, and his desire for you is to continually pass that out and give it out. So that's my prayer for us this year. We're looking ahead to a lot more judges. Sorry. you know, Well, just a couple more judges. Like but a lot more chapters, and, uh, and I pray that we would be people that are genuine with the Lord in our relationship with him, that we would desire not to grieve his spirit, and that we would know that he is faithful beyond anything we could ever muster on our own, so that's us pray. Lord, are so grateful for your word. Um, we're thankful. Um, we thank you, God, that you've got us in the book of Judges right now, and uh, we don't like it all the time. Uh, it's hard, and it challenges our hearts, and it convicts us, and, um, and sometimes we just we hate it, and we're ready to be in the Gospels or somewhere else, but turns out, Lord, man, you call us to this same thing from Genesis to Revelation. You're calling us to relationship with you, and so, God, we pray that you would help us to um, just dig, continue to dig deep um, in, in this text and uh, in this book and examine our hearts, Lord. Um, See if there's any unclean way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. But we know that we think our ways are right. We know we have this disposition to believe that we are right in all circumstances, but you are the only one that is good. You are the only one that is right. And so, God, I pray you would help us to cling to you, not for what you can give us, not for what you can get us out of, but rather for you, for your presence. God, we want to go through the fire with you. We want to go through the blessing with you. We want to enjoy it together with you, God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us that heart to just know you more and more and to relate to you as you've created us to, Lord. We want to be your children in a very real sense, God. We want to be connected to you. We want to be one with you, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be uh, disingenuous in our repentance, that we wouldn't be uh, seeking to get what we want on the basis of our faith, but rather we'd count faith as a gift that's been given from you. And God, that we would just yearn after, pre- after your presence uh, each and every day. Lord, we give our lives to you. We thank you for all the things you give us to enjoy in this life, and we celebrate those things, Lord. We want our whole life to be about you, God. Uh, we want, to be, want, want our rhythms to be centered around you. We want our families to be centered around you. We want our church to be uh, centered on you, Lord Jesus. And so God, give us that heart uh, that you would be exalted in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.